Written on the pages of the great book of nature lies a truth so profound that it has beckoned men and women throughout the ages to seek its wisdom. We will continue this quest and study many stories of humanity as we search for this light. On this journey, we will examine philosophy, religion, and science to uncover the hidden mysteries behind myth and legend using the symbols of universal Freemasonry. Welcome to Legends of the Craft. Welcome back to Legends of the Craft. We have another exciting episode this week. I'm here with my brother Axel Safari, as usual, and we got another brother here, a guest, and my wife, brother Katie Kumsia. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to be talking about the future of this planet, brothers, and specifically from the lens of the environment and of Freemasons' responsibilities and duties to the environment. We have a really strange starting point. We're actually going to go back to the Bible, to Genesis, and start there. And as we read through this, I think we're going to see that it's not actually a strange starting point. I think it really, it's appropriate that we're going back to the beginning of creation to find out what our duties are to the environment. But we're not biblical literalists. We're just using this as a symbolic starting point for this discussion in Freemasonry. That's an excellent place to start, and I'm going to kick us off by reading that quote. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, Brother Matthias, this quote has caused some controversy, especially amongst the environmentalist crowd out there, because... If you take this literally, it's almost like God saying, I've created this planet, I've filled it with all this stuff, do whatever you want with it. Abuse it. it. Abuse it, do whatever you want, there's no consequences, this is humanity's plaything. But I think as we get into this conversation, we're going to start to see that there's a different interpretation that you can take away from this quote, specifically when you look at it from the Masonic lens. Well, and I think too that... It's an easy route to go down and say that, well, we have dominion, we can do whatever we want. I, th- that creates a apathy for being aware of how we have impact our environment. So I think it's kind of a cheap way out of having responsibility, if you will. I think generally, mankind for thousands of years has manipulated the earth, uh, viewing nature as an obstacle to overcome. You know, we have to subdue nature. We have to overcome the elements. We have to protect ourselves. We have to, in a sense, defeat nature. And I think that view has led to a destruction of precious resources. It has led to the destruction of other people, frankly. And it can end in the destruction of the entire planet. I mean, 
let me back up there a second. I don't think the planet's ever going to be destroyed, but we're going to be destroyed in the process of it. Right. The Earth will rejuvenate. It will prosper again, even if we have a nuclear war. It may take a very long time. And we probably won't see it as a race either. We probably won't survive it. So I think we have to be very careful in this idea of trying to defeat nature. I don't think nature is something to be defeated. No, but it is something to be struggled against. And I think that this is something we find in the symbolism of masonry because we find a lot of the same words, you know, subduing our passions, having dominion over ourselves. But I agree that taking a combative approach to that process is destructive in essence and doesn't really get you where I think the those words of ritual and, and this passage of the Bible are trying to point you. Because there is an element to this of you know, go out, be fruitful, multiply, subdue this, like um, conquer the challenge I've put in front of you, but don't flip the table over when you get frustrated with the game. Well, I think it's also really important to point out that when you look at this, subdue doesn't mean to destroy and to get rid of. It means to bring in due bounds. And so when you're talking about having dominion over the earth, well, if you get rid of the earth because you were slovenly with it or reckless, then what are you going to have dominion over? I think that dominion implies that it will be long-lasting because you see it through and taking care of it in its fullness instead of just ripping it in part for its resources. And I think this is a particularly interesting challenge to tackle as Masons in the 21st century because Masonry in the modern day lacks the tyrants that made it great in centuries before. You know, it used to be that masonry took on oppression of the people. But now we are thinking on a more global scale. And as we see the environmental systems around us degrade and break down because of our actions, because of things human beings are doing, we have another opportunity as masons to take on another great challenge, another great enemy and defeat it for the good of mankind. I have a quick question for you, Brother Axel, and something that you just said. You talked about how masonry had at one point these tyrants that were very visible to us as a foe and that it was oppression of the people. Do you think that the tyrant that we fight now is oppression by the people, that the people have become the issue, not the oppression? It, to a certain extent, yes. I believe that the tyrant that we're dealing with here is apathy. Not necessarily a, a conscious decision to oppress anybody by any particular group of people. I think our challenges in the 21st century have moved beyond uh, a single tyrant who espouses one ideology and wants to oppress others into believing it. I think things have evolved past that where we're now dealing with uh, large-scale manifestations of our own internal problems like apathy, like laziness, like the unwillingness to face obvious problems and their consequences as they continue to stack up around us. Well, yeah, we're not defeating kings anymore. You know, we're not defeating tyrants. You know, the world is ushered in a more democratic age. Not that there aren't problems in, in some countries worldwide, but, you know, I think, I think it is actually the mob that we're fighting because in people's struggle to improve their life out of the industrial revolution into the age of consumerism, what you have is an abuse of the earth. And I think it's natural for people to all want to own things and to be able to have cheap transportation, you know, cheap gas, using fossil fuels to power their home. These are all things that are natural, and I don't think it's evil in any way. 
but there is a consequence at the end of the day. And so I think it is institutions like Freemasonry that must encourage the people with a plan forward and how to keep the earth vibrant, to keep it useful, and to respect life outside of of the Homo Homo sapien, because there are other there are other creatures, and I know a lot of people think maybe they're inferior or they're dumb or whatever, but they're living creatures. And when you have dominion, and this is kind of where I want to go with the statement, when you have dominion, that doesn't mean that you abuse. The Bible is filled with good kings and bad kings. There's examples of good dominion and bad dominion, and so I think what the Bible is directing us down is good dominion. And good dominion is stewardship. And stewardship has a lot of active pieces to it. I think in a lot of people's minds, stewardship means um, not as high as a king. But in the absence of the king, the steward is the one that is in control. And I feel that if you look at the earth, the earth, we're having stewardship with this earth, of this earth, but we also are evolving the earth. If you think of it from that perspective, like... If God helps man evolve, do we not help the earth evolve? And then to evolve into what is the question? Well, I, I like the structure that you've you've kind of outlined there, Brother Katie, because uh, in Christian theology, a dominion is it's like a rank or grade of angels. You have thrones, dominions, and then angels. Angels are messengers, but dominions are like middle management. They're supervising stewards, basically. And I like the idea that you've brought up that mankind occupies uh, a place in a divine hierarchy of operations. Like, we have a part to play. We're not just here to enjoy the place and to eat everything that we can and, and, you know, just use it for our own personal enjoyment, that we're here as part of a larger workforce that's performing a task with the environment, with the natural world. Well, I mean, it's real simple. If we looked at someone that had dominion over a group of people and they had these people in terrible work conditions, they were enslaving them, they were abusing them. Would we call that person a great leader? No, of course not. Absolutely not. And in fact, I think that's why we see the rebellions that we have, is that the people overthrow the oppressor because they're no longer a good sovereignty over them. They're an oppressor. They've changed title from steward to the tyrant. Therefore, we cannot believe that having dominion over the earth means you can do whatever the hell you want with it. It's an absolutely ridiculous notion. And anybody that believes it is, well... They're juvenile. That's a very juvenile, childish way to look at things. It's like saying that I have dominion over my bedroom and therefore I can thrash it to pieces when actually it's not my bedroom. It's my parents' house. And I know that in itself is a very childish analogy, but it's very appropriate here. Well, it's nicer than what I was going to say. So thank you. Juvenile. (laughs) I like that. Well, and it's, I think... In this regard, at least, Christianity and Freemasonry are sympathetic in the in the sense of encouraging responsibility for what you find around you, for your environment. You know, for a long time, our culture has um, subdued the idea that the individual is responsible for the things around them and what they do and and how they affect the earth around them. But if we return to this, you know, this Christian notion of 
each person that inhabits the environment is not only deeply interconnected with everything around him, but as a creature of God, a sentient being, has a responsibility for those things under his dominion. Because we are in, we are higher on the food chain. We are higher in the in the ranking, if you will, of sentient life. We can do more. We can think more. We're more capable. That doesn't mean that we have more privileges. It means we have more responsibilities and more duties. I think it's also important to keep in mind that no matter where we are in the hierarchical structure, even if it's middle management or top management, there's that element of service that's still important because taking care of either your family or a planet or anything in between, you have to take care of it. That's service. You have to actively work for it. You can't just let people do whatever they want because you don't have an end game that's manifested and you have to be the driving force. You have to be that impetus to make it work else who knows the outcome that you're going to get. Well, and I think Freemasonry is peculiarly situated to help humanity do that because in the lodge and in the ritual is preserved a system of understanding natural law. And when I say natural law, I don't just mean like physical laws of like gravity and such like the lodge is a mirror of the natural world. It's meant as a shrine of to nature, to the operations of nature. It's a rem- it's a consistent reminder, especially in the more modern age when not everybody is living in nature as we once were. It's a reminder of the beauty and the complexity of the systems of nature and that we should pay reverence to them and learn from them and perpetuate them into the future. A real lodge would meet at night under the stars outside. We paint a ceiling blue and call it the celestial canopy. But what we're supposed to be doing is looking up at the stars. We're supposed to be outside. I love what you said. It's a shrine to nature. And that's absolutely the truth. We are to venerate nature, to love it, to defend it at all cost. Brother Matthias, you said exactly what I was thinking. Because if you think about the brothers who sit in the columns, what are the columns but trees? To the trunk of the trees. And that's a very important thing to think about. When you're in Lodge, are you actually sitting in a place of beauty? Because if you remember, beauty is the, the best house for the divine. And if this earth is not beautiful, how, how are we supposed to stay in connection with the divine if our outside is catastrophic and in some places a dystopian? Well, through Freemasonry. I think that's its unique role here is that as we modernize and concretize over everything that the natural world has put in front of us as we pave over it in the relentless march of civilization that freemasonry exists partly to remind us of where we came from and why we are here and what our responsibilities are by making us appreciate the symbolic and the literal beauties of nature if freemasonry helped to build civilization then it's certainly our job to help preserve it we cannot be the end of it and if we don't stand up and say something, if we don't stand up and do something, who will? How do we deserve to be called the defenders of humanity if we can't even defend a pond from being polluted? Well, because nature is inextricably linked with humanity. Without nature, there is no humanity. 
you know, we can't turn this planet into Coruscant and just make a, a just turn the whole thing into a living city. Like we came from nature. We need nature as human beings. Our minds start to break down when we don't have nature around us. Like we need this stuff in our life and we need Freemasonry and Freemasons to step up. Like the, we are the people who have stepped up throughout history. And now we, have, we face a greater crisis than any band of human beings has ever faced throughout our history that we know of. Our entire future of survival on this planet is in jeopardy because of the actions we're taking at this moment. If, I mean, what greater cause could there be for Freemasonry to stand up to? This sounds very doomsday, like the whole world is going to implode tomorrow or explode depending on how we, we treat it. And I do think there's that element of heaviness to our actions but i also feel like there are some bright shining spots in the world of where we are doing great efforts to create a world that's not just better for the the moment but also in the future but i always want to go back to the archetypes and the ideals and the virtues that are, are taught in masonry which is wisdom strength and beauty and beauty is important because of the adorning you can have a world just like Coruscant. It's going to come at the sacrifice of certain things, and it's going to have its own benefits. But is that a future we want? And I think that's really where the question is, is as we start to engineer a direction for the outcome of this planet, what direction is that? That's a really good question. And I think in answering it, I have to go down the road of sustainable growth of civilization, of, of cities, roads. We, we know we're going to have more people, but at the same time, we can, at our own expense, compensate that expansion with technologies that don't harm at all or very little. But you see, that comes at an expense. And living in a capitalist world, we typically want things that are the cheapest. But we have to change that consciousness. We have to say, no, no, no. You know, I want these things, but I'm willing to pay a little higher price in order to make it non-detrimental to others and to the environment. Well, and I think one of the main ways that we're going to be able to do that is along this path that Brother Katie has laid out. I really do think beauty is one of the most important things in terms of restoring a balance to nature and civilization, because I think that is the primary thing that we sacrifice when we industrialize things, because nature is beautiful. Even when it's, it's harsh, it's brutal, it's maybe not welcoming to human life, it's still a beautiful thing. Growth is beautiful. And as we grow civilization, because I, I don't believe in limiting civilization necessarily, or this idea that, you know, we're on some kind of doomsday path because of the growth that we're on. But we need to find a way to grow civilization the way that nature grows. Nature grows in an infinite capacity. There's never a moment on this planet, in this universe, where nature's not growing something. I think human beings can do the same if we work cooperatively and not arrogantly and narcissistically and in and in forgetting our responsibility to the patch of nature that we've been allotted and i like what you said there specifically about cooperation i think that's the key masonry instills cooperation and group work we're group servers for the building of a future humanity and in that when we go back to this verse in genesis that we read earlier I think in that time, in biblical times, you're not looking at cooperation. You're looking at subjugation. 
You're looking at conquest. You're looking at the triumph of one man over another. This is a different time back eh, two, three, four, five, six thousand years ago. This is, this is, this is, it's more barbaric in the sense that man has not refined his higher mind, his senses, his appetites. Today, we have that fruit of a subdued passion. We've been, a, we've been fruitful. We've basically. been fruitful, yeah. exactly. And, and, and so that work's been done. It was necessary. But at this point, with, with, uh, with a greater mind as a tool, we can find ways of doing things that are better because cooperation ultimately is more lucrative for everybody. Like in capitalism, people think, oh, I have a store in town and if I get a, a store that competes against me, I will go out of business. Well, unless it's Walmart, it's probably going to help you because the more businesses that are sort of put next to each other, it attracts actually more people from out of town and it creates more of a community of shoppers. It's synergistic. It's synergistic. So we shouldn't fear cooperation. We always think that the other person is going to take what we have. No. Having someone that's competent next to us actually aggrandizes us. Well, Brother Katie, I love that you brought up synergy because I think that this indicates uh, a shift in the way that we even see nature. For the past several centuries, we viewed nature, at least from the evolutionary biology standpoint, as being competitive in nature, as being a battle that everything is fighting against everything else. But as our mindsets are changing and as new research is coming to light, we're starting to see that nature is synergistic. It's cooperative fundamentally in nature. Anywhere you look, you will see natural systems that are supported by multiple actors within that system. You have bees pollinating flowers, for example, almost by accident, is a perfect example of how nature evolves cooperation in its very fabric. And I think that this is what Freemasonry, through its its inculcation of group work and of ritual, is trying to establish, is a humanity that works together that doesn't even necessarily have to be aware of its synergistic effects on nature. It just, by perfecting that cooperation, we will have that effect, whether we're aware of it or not. I want to jump in because I do love how you talk about collaboration and cooperation instead of competitiveness. Because if you look at evolutionary biology, it's not competitive. We say it's competitive because there's winners and losers. But the problem is it only becomes competitive when people aren't cooperating. And if you look at living a nobly simple life, to me, that's the key of creating a better future, creating a better environment and having that beauty to adorn what we live in. Because if we're all competitive, if we take that very me against the world mentality, we will always lose because the world is huge and I am one and I will always lose against that force. But when I realize that there is a universal brotherhood and that together we can live a nobly simple life, not meaning that we can't have nice things, meaning that we don't need to have so much that we become materialist. Because I think there's a danger in consumerism gone too far. I mean, we all have to buy and we all support each other in economics through um, purchasing and selling of goods. But when we have the virtues of Freemasonry that not necessarily instilled in some of us, some of us come with that naturally, but when we look at having it universal amongst every one of us, just be moral, upright, and just and free, Yes, there's many different interpretations, but we're using the same words, which means we're starting to create that synergy together, even if it slightly expresses differently. You guys have really inspired me here, and I've been thinking while you guys have been talking this out here, 
how can we make this practical? Like, what can we do actually as Masons other than just being speculative? How can we take this operative? Well, think about it. As Masons worldwide, there are millions of us, and we're sitting on millions and millions and millions of dollars, millions of millions and millions of dollars of buildings, millions and millions and millions of dollars of donations every year. And what are we doing with this money? Oh, there's pancake breakfasts. Oh yeah, they're delicious, right? We're feeding the poor, maybe, I don't know, because the money isn't going directly to the poor. It goes to some other institution that distributes it that probably takes half the money for administrators. Yeah, yeah, right? So what can we do? Well, why aren't our buildings being fitted with solar panels? Why aren't we promoting the welfare of humanity by creating a sustainable society? We have the money. We have the manpower. We have the knowledge. We could be the vanguard of an enormous operation worldwide, not one order, but many orders working together to save the environment and to set an example of a nobly simple life. I think this hinges on an immense failure of masonry in the last century in that if we're brutally honest with ourselves, masonry does not attract the best and the brightest anymore. We used to count Isaac Newton Elias Ashmole, Henry Moore, like we used to count great minds amongst our ranks, people that pushed the boundaries of science and technology and philosophy and the very act of living as a human being. Like, like you said, what, who do we have now? I mean, we have all this money, we have all this treasure, we have all this momentum that we're sitting on. Yeah, but for what? There's this massive amount of resource and it's just sitting there. It's just, it's not doing anything. And what do we learn from nature? That if you're not moving forward, you're dying. There's no such thing as holding still. Evolve or die. Yeah, it's true. You either move forward or you move back. And we are, we have lost our place at the front lines. Masonry used to be on the front lines of almost every major issue of humanity. Where are we? But to attract those men, Brother Axel, to attract those women of intellect, of vision, of grandeur, what we need to do is to do something that attracts them. They're not going to just come because, oh, it's the Freemasons. They have such an illustrious history. That history is in the past. If we don't start making something of what we are now, the craft is doomed to failure. And the environment, at least, is one issue where we can bring back the zeal, the constancy, the glory of masonry. And not just for our own aggrandizement. I mean, this isn't just to glorify masonry and build up the fraternity again just, just so, that we can, so that masonry can be great. No, this is to build up the planet. This is for all mankind. This is not for one. And this is why I really like your idea of like, this shouldn't be one order doing this. This should be the concerted effort of Masons across the world as we recognize our duty to the human race. This is not about bringing our organization back into glory. This is about securing a future for the human species on the planet that we have pushed close to the brink. If we do our job, the byproduct will be reestablishing our place on the front lines. It shouldn't be the end goal. But I like what you said. It brings it back to collaboration and cooperation, that synergistic experience. If masonry put aside all of its differences and joined together, we could really have a monumental impact on the future that lies directly in front of us. Imagine hundreds of buildings worldwide, maybe thousands of buildings, 
being powered by alternative energy sources. We would completely change the entire nonprofit realm worldwide. We would be setting a charge that would ripple throughout the world because once you get those people to, to be early adopters, other people are going to be like, why aren't we doing that? Why are we on the back lines? No, we want to be on the front lines like the Masons. Look at them. They're saving the planet. What are we doing? Somebody has to do it, and it should be us. And again, it shouldn't be one order. It should be all Masons, regardless of race, religion, creed, gender, sexuality, blah, blah, blah. Well, and Masonry has a very specific and a very unique tool by which to accomplish this. Masonry, as well as a shrine to nature, is a school of leadership. It generates leaders. And if we look at the world around us, like the people want the same things. In all countries across the world, the, the, the people, the masses, the general population, we all want the same things. We want a clean world to live in. We don't want to breathe poison. We don't want to drink acid rain. We don't want to pollute radioactive materials in our backyards. And yet these things are done. We don't want to fight wars. We don't want to destroy things. We don't want to kill our neighbors. And yet these things are done. It's not a, it's not a question of changing the minds of people. This is what people want already. The question is, why do we continue to follow leaders that do not act on this will? Why do we not replace these leaders with people trained in a shrine of nature to lead humanity to the future that humanity has expressed that it desires? I think, too, if you look at nature, it teaches us a very valuable lesson about entropy, that it is a lot easier to bring into chaos a system than it is to build it up. So if we leave this project, this noble aim to one institution or just a few, it may not be enough. It's a good start. It's a good step. But we need everybody because we all understand the valuableness of this earth. And if you go back to Genesis and you look at the legends of Adam and Eve, they give us the sovereignty over the animals and the fish and everything on this planet. So there's something special about us. And what that specialness is, is that we're unique because we have consciousness. And that means we have the aptitude to change course if we don't like the direction we're going. However, when the task is so great, like taking on the restoration of nature and restoring it back to its former glory, we can't be caught up in issues as so profane and so low as, are you a Mason or are you not a Mason? No, it goes beyond that. Are you willing to stand up and help when the cry goes forward? Or are you going to sit on the sidelines and let someone else do your job? And then you can go back into the dust of history. Because there's a lot we're not hearing too. You know, as much as I talk about, you know, all of humanity is crying out for this. It's not just humanity. It's the entire natural world is waiting for us to do something, hoping for us to do something. We, as far as we know, are the only sentient life on this planet. So not only does our future hinge on our actions, but the future of every living creature on this planet, every living thing, anything that draws life depends on us. And that's an immense responsibility. I'm going to go to a second practical solution based on what you, you both of you just said, which is the animal creation. There's two factors to this. There are many species going extinct. 
we are removing the rainforest from the earth. We are cultivating all the land, and there's not enough space. You're not domesticated as an animal. You know, you're in a dangerous situation. And the second thing is, the animals that we have domesticated, they're in small cages with non-movement until they're eaten and put in our tummies, right? So we've either enslaved the animals or we're killing them. Um, and, and this is something that we're doing not as a nation, but as a species. We are going to leave this planet empty of other forms of life or only have it domesticated forms of life. I mean, it's, it's only a matter of centuries before that could possibly happen as the human population increases and our need for resources and space and for farmland. So I kind of got off course here a little bit, but my second practical solution is research and development. Right now they're developing technology in order to clone flesh so we can have steaks and burgers, but we're not actually killing any animals. And the best part of it is you don't need to have places for cattle and for chickens, which take up an enormous amount of energy. So why aren't we taking the money of masonry and putting it into research and development? Yes, many Masonic charities are helping people today, but there's short-term help and there's long-term help. If we were putting our money in research and development, we would be shooting for the stars. We'd be shooting to, to, to solve the problems of humanity as opposed to helping the suffering today. The problems be of humans. Well, yeah, but, well, and the suffering is going to be there tomorrow. The suffering doesn't go away by helping the suffering. We have to have solutions of why the suffering is there to begin with. I want to go back to something you said just a second ago, Brother Matthias, about the sec second part here to the issue. And I think you kind of answered the question, but the part that really frustrates me about this type of conversation is that it leaves me thinking at the end, well, I'm not worth anything because I kill everything in order to exist. I have to kill animals to eat. I could go vegetarian or vegan, but personally that doesn't work for me. You know, So it leaves me with this kind of like, well, I suck as a human being because in order for me to exist, it's at the loss of life of something else. And to be frank, that leaves a lot of uh, feelings of helplessness, which is very paralyzing. Well, honestly, Brother Katie, I think that is a way, it's an easy way out for a lot of people when they're confronted by this problem. You know, they, they look at this massive problem. I'm only one person. What am I going to do about it? I don't want to be a vegan. So I guess there's nothing I can do. You know, I, I think that not only with this issue, but with a, almost all of the big problems that we're facing in our world, we are consistently looking to somebody else to solve them. You know, like we have to get out of this malaise of just like, well, I'm only one person. Like history has shown that massive transformations in the human species hinge often on either a single individual or a very, very small group who are fervently dedicated to an idea. We need to stop, first of all, we need to stop looking to governments to solve this problem for us. I think the 21st century is showing us that large, antiquated institutions like this are not going to be able to be fluid enough, rapid enough, and inspired enough to solve this problem. I mean, we, you, you want to talk about, you know, growing meat in laboratories. The funding for that, the inspiration for that, that doesn't come from large bureaucratic institutions. That comes from private citizens who want to see a change in the world funding this. Willing, and people who are willing to take it at a loss. 
because a lot of this experimentation isn't going to be lucrative on the first trial. It's, it takes several repeatable and reproducible mechanisms for it to be successful. And that's a lot of money lost. I mean, look at Elon Musk. How much money has he lost trying to get us to the next step? I mean, that is someone who is truly inspiring to the rest of us. And in this case, I think we can definitely look to him as an exemplar of how to do this. Well, and for, for those uh, listening who are master masons, you're a master mason. You are competent. You have ability. You are not a helpless person to sit on the sidelines and watch the world go to hell in a handbasket because you think you're only one person. You have put in work. You have ability. You have a responsibility to do something. And I think the responsibility is a key word because you are also the example to the brothers behind you. And honestly, the brothers who are ahead of you. Because there are some people who are older than us in masonry who still are seized by that helplessness. So it just takes that small little pebble in the lodge for it to become a landslide. As we wrap up on this episode of Legends of the Craft, looking at Genesis, looking at the environment, looking at, at our role as masons, you know, some may think, oh, these brothers here, they're, they're real uh, pro-climate change. You know, they must be liberals, or they must be this, they must be that. We're not here to say, you know, that the world is going uh, to hell in a handbasket because of liberal or conservative things, you know. We're not picking a side here. We're not, we're not blaming anybody. But the fact of the matter is the world is changing. The environment is changing. The climate is changing. It's going to change civilization. It's going to affect it in a very negative fashion if we don't adapt. And the fact of the matter is you know, it doesn't do us any good to lay blame anywhere. It's and and, and well, well, it, you know, is it man-made? Is it not well, man-made? It's, it's irrelevant. Of, it's not a part of the solution. I mean, you can identify the problem, but who creates the problem doesn't help us necessarily come up with a solution. No. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're right if your house is burning. Like, it, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have seen the meme of the cartoon dog who sits in his house that's on fire and says, "This is fine." It, like, it doesn't matter if you're right anymore. The, the time for that has passed. And sure, there's plenty of interesting research uh, and science out there that points to one cause or another for certain phenomena. Like, the fact is, we live in a world that is rapidly altering. And when things rapidly change around us, those who are not prepared for that change, those who are not engaged, cooperating with that change, moving with that flow are going to be swept away. I mean, there's another... There's uh, the deluge. I was about to say, there's there's another myth in Genesis, not too far from the chapter that we discussed earlier, that shows us exactly this folly of those who do not pay attention to the signs of nature around them, calamity strikes. And that's going to happen. It might not be that, you know, the earth is going to turn to dust in 10 years. I'm not... I don't think that. I don't think that we're on the verge of complete doom. But major things can happen, and they usually happen unexpectedly. And we have to be ready for that and, and cognizant of that threat to our species. Like there, there are drastic things that can change in an instant that will radically alter the way we can live on this planet if we're not prepared for them. If we do practical things that are day-to-day, whether it's investing with our dollars in the right places or, you know, being a part of the solution in whatever way we can, then perhaps we might deserve that apron we wear. Not just one time a month or four times a month, but all the time. 
Well, brothers, I think those are some pretty powerful words to end on. It's been a great evening discussing the yeah, environment been... and the future of humanity mm-hmm. with you guys. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll, I guess we won't see you, but hopefully somebody's hearing us on the other end of this. Until next time. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Legends of the Craft. This podcast is purely the opinion of brothers Matthias Corsier and Axel Suvari not represent the official views of Universal Clomasonry. Universal Clomasonry is a Masonic order founded on the principles of liberty, equality, and fraternity that admits men and women without distinction of race, religion, or creed. For more information, please visit universalfreemasonry.org.